people really are watching your clock. That's way to go. Shout out to Mark. All right, well, um, I think we're going to start. It's 8.05. Would you stand with me and let's sing an old camp song. And um, it may involve grabbing somebody's hand. That's all I'll say. Thank you so much. Um, I, I don't know what's been said in uh, the other uh, nights because I haven't been here, but I do appreciate uh, uh, Doug and Denise uh, for their music. Give them a round of applause just because oh, they're only taking their time. And, and one of the things that we have to be so appreciative of because, you know, a lot of times uh, they are the ones who, they are the ones who are, don't get any recognition and nobody realizes how important they are. And those are the two guys in the back, Mark and BJ. Wave your hand and everybody give them a round of applause. They're very special. Thank you guys. You guys are special. Hope you guys know that. Um, at this time, uh, we are actually going to have a personal testimony. And before we, I call her forward, uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. But I also just want to say this because we've talked a little bit about this. Within her uh, testimony, there might be some things that she's going to be sharing about that are related to a lot of the stuff that we talked about. So those of you who have some children at a certain age, we just want to, for you to be aware that there might be some sensitivities there um, as she shares her heart of what she's gone through, that you're just aware of that. So um, you can make that call if, if you want them to hear, hear her testimony or not. But we just wanted you uh, to be aware of that. And so before I have uh, Cassie Lyon come up here and share her, pe her, her personal testimony uh, related to what we're talking about, I just want to have a word of prayer for her and also have a word of prayer for our second session. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your love. 
We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that as uh, Cassie's getting ready to come up here and share her heart uh, about um, just what God, what the Holy Spirit has given her to share with us, we pray that you would just anoint her. We pray, Lord, that you would give her uh, the words to share and that you would just overwhelm her with your presence, that you would give her a clarity of her speech and that you would just allow her to speak from her heart and just overwhelm her with your presence, Lord. We thank you for her willingness to be here tonight and we thank you for the person, uh, her personal testimony um, with what you have done in her life and the healing that you've brought in her life. And so we just ask an anointing upon her as she comes and shares. And we're so glad that she's willing to do that. And we also pray, Lord, just for this next session as we continue to hear John and, and you continue to speak through John, we pray, Lord, that his words would just fall on our heart in such a way, Lord, that we would listen to them and that we would learn how to apply them to our lives. And that we would also, Lord, learn how to share them with family members and friends and co-workers and, and different people that you've brought into our lives, Lord, within the relationships that you have given us with them. And so we just give you uh, the rest of this time. We give you this session. And once again, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would just be so abundant and that we would feel and sense your presence and that we would just be overwhelmed, God, with how great and how wonderful you are, that you have put forth a plan that, Lord, through confession, through forgiveness, Lord, that we can be set free, that we can be made new and we can experience your love and your joy and your peace. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Cassie, you're welcome. To... Oh, um, I hope you'll bear with me. I get a little bit nervous being up front. It's kind of scary. <laughs> when I was three, my parents divorced, and I went to live with my grandma. While my grandma was the most wonderful example of what Christ's love looked like, I was torn between wanting to be with my mom and my dad too. At times, my dad lived at the motel he owned with my grandma, which my grandma had managed. While he was there physically, my dad was not attentive to me. He spent much of his time busy or in front of a computer. At times, he was depressed and taking Prozac. I would watch him sometimes, and he always seemed so distracted and distant. Even as a child, I could sense something about his pain, but I didn't know how to put it into words that, that I could feel for him. So I would do whatever I could to make him happy, even if it meant that I didn't wash one dish good enough, and he would throw them all back in the sink for me to do again. I would wash them again without complaining. I would draw him pictures all the time until he told me that I was giving him too much and he grounded me from giving anyone any more pictures. Sometimes I guess I talked too much because he would tell me at times that I wasn't allowed to talk anymore. I didn't know it at the time, but my dad wasn't capable of giving love and he didn't know how to receive it. At times he would lock himself up in his room for hours and I wasn't allowed to bother him. There were times when he was trying to be our spiritual leader in our home, as best as he knew, knew how, and he would demand that we would read the Bible, and we had to learn every single book in order on his time, or we would be in trouble. He showed me that women were to be submissive to the head of the household, and that meant that you never questioned his authority, and you didn't express your feelings. There was no sympathy for crying. As I got older, there were times that he began to criticize me and call me his little peanut. It was his way of calling me an elephant. 
my weight had um, my weight and how I had presented myself to people was often a subject of conversation. Because of that, I thought starving myself was the remedy. I remember after we lost one of his motels to a flood, Red Cross had put us up in an apartment and my dad told me that if I still wanted to live with him, that I had to pay for the groceries in the house. So I got a full-time job that summer when there wasn't any food in the house to make, he would remind me that it was my responsibility to go get the groceries because he didn't have time for that kind of stuff. When he would have women over, he would lock me out of the apartment and I had to find something else to do. I bounced several times back and forth between my mom and dad. Living with my mom wasn't much easier. While she wasn't critical of me when I was younger, she was always busy. By the time I was seven, my mom had six children with three different men. Before my youngest sister, she had aborted a set of twins. I was often jealous and would try to do whatever I could do to get her attention. The most common memory I have of my mom is of her always being offended or crying, locked up in her room by herself. When she would cry, I wanted to make her happy and comfort her, so I'd ask her to talk to me and tell me what was wrong. I would listen to her talk about someone had hurt her feelings. She didn't have any friends. Life was hard. And she was tired of feeling fat and needed to exercise more. All I knew to say to her was that I was sorry and that I loved her. As I got older, my mom never picked up my weight, but again, I was reminded that appearance was important because when she grew up, you never walked out of the house without your hair fixed and your makeup on. If you felt overweight, you skipped a meal. I often felt like my feelings were unheard or I wasn't allowed to talk about how I felt, so I learned to stuff my pain. During the summer of my junior year of high school, I moved back in with my grandma. I felt that my parents didn't have time for me and they didn't understand me. My stepdad pegged me as a brat because I didn't get what I wanted when I said I wanted to leave. My mom had taught me that it was okay to run from your problem, so it was easy for me to leave and go back and forth between her and my dad. But I missed feeling like I belonged somewhere. There was always a peace with my grandma in her home. She was willing to listen and acknowledge my feelings. Even though she would have listened, at that point, I didn't know how to express my feelings anymore, except to be angry and rebellious. My senior year, I began lying to her about where I was going. One night, I decided to go on a date with a much older man. He had already been married and divorced and had two children. For as long as I can remember when I was growing up, I wanted to be a mom and a wife. I liked this guy and I thought that if I had sex with him, that maybe he would fall in love with me. I justified my actions by telling myself that I was 17 and I had waited longer than anyone else I knew. I wasn't really into the act of sex. I was scared to death to get pregnant. But I'd been making out with guys since I was 15. I wanted to know what it was like. So I told him that I had never been with anyone, and he jumped at the opportunity to be my first. Of course, I never heard from him again. I started going to parties and drinking, and kept a few guys in my group as friends with benefits. One of the parties, I went to, I left with someone that I thought I knew. I hadn't seen him since fifth grade, 
but I remember him not being very nice to me. He apologized for being mean and asked if I wanted to go for a drive. I remember feeling uneasy, but as we stopped on the dirt road, I remember thinking that life has always been easier to be compliant and to make other people happy. So I crawled into the back seat of, with him with the intentions of just thinking we would make out. But soon I was overpowered by his weight. I told him to stop because he was hurting me, but he insisted that he get to finish. When he dropped me back off at the party, a friend took me to the emergency room, but I was afraid to, afraid to be in a room with people invading my personal space and I didn't trust any of them. I had already been so violated. So I walked out the door and went home. My ex-boyfriend had caught wind of what had happened and decided to call state police. When the officer showed up, my grandmother called me into the room to ask me what was going on. She had no idea what had happened because I was afraid to tell her and I didn't know how. The officer began to ask me questions like, had I had sex before? Had I ever made out before with anyone else? What were my intentions? What was I thinking to get into the back seat of the car with this guy that I didn't really know? I remember feeling so devastated that every question was leading up to what I felt was my fault. My grandma's face was full of hurt. I wondered if at that point she still loved me. I'd never questioned her love before, but all my failures and inability to please my dad had made me wonder if she was going to shut me out now too. I carried around the shame and word quickly spread at school. I was labeled by a few people, but it was mostly just not talked about like it never happened. I stopped caring about my hair and makeup and what I wore. Most times I would go to school with my hair pulled back and no makeup. My grades were barely passing, if at all, and I was at risk of not being able to graduate because I did not have enough credits. I was so completely angry. I just knew that I wasn't going to do what I, I, I just knew that I wasn't going to do what any else, anyone else expected of me or wanted from me anymore. And I wanted to be happy and I wanted to do what I could, that I could be in control of. About a year after I graduated, I moved in with a guy for two years thinking that we would get married, even though he told me someday I'd find a nice guy to marry me. But I still stayed with him thinking that I could make him love me if I just worked hard enough and I did everything just right. But he didn't love me and he didn't care if I stayed. While things were falling apart with this guy, my aunt introduced me to a missionary in the area that was my age. He cared about me, connect with, connected with me, and I felt like I was falling in love with him. I left the relationship and I got my own apartment. I still felt alone, but as best as I knew how, I would begin to pray and ask God to forgive me for the life I'd been living. In my heart, I knew he had been waiting for the right moment to just zap me with lightning and send me to hell. I could visualize the book of life and where he had written my name and erased it so many times. While the missionary eventually moved elsewhere, we remained in contact for a while. And he reminded me that love was possible without me having to give anyone something in return. I tried to hold on to that truth, even though I went, to back, it went back to meaningless relationships. I jumped into out of um, fear of being alone. 
When one of those relationships left me pregnant, I knew that things had to change. I really began to talk to Jesus like I would talk to anyone else. At first, I felt as if I was being disrespectful because I wasn't worth talking to him. I had been taught to pray on my knees and that there was a specific way you addressed him and that if you didn't repent, you were, you were going to hell. I would talk to him at night and beg him again to forgive me and write my name in his book of life with a permanent marker. Then I would talk to him sometimes during the day, and then I began to talk to him about everything under the sun, and I could feel him there listening to me. I prayed so desperately that he would send someone to love me and my son. I didn't want him to grow up without a father. Five months into my pregnancy, I met John. Within a year of meeting, we were married, and months after our marriage, he adopted Joshua. I used to look back at those first six months of our marriage and think that we were in complete bliss, but the reality was I was insecure and very controlling. I had finally, I finally had what I always wanted, and I didn't want anyone taking it away from me. John couldn't see family or friends without me. If he was going to be off work, if he wasn't going to be off work in time from his job, I would go to the site and hang out with him. John is a very passive person, and my control didn't seem to bother him, so I, I ran away with it. Um, he just wanted to make me happy. But the stress of married life, parenting, and family issues began to wear. And the first morning that John snapped at me, I shut down. I wouldn't talk to him unless it was to call him a name or criticize him. I wouldn't pick up his dirty clothes, and if I cooked anything, I was not serving him. Fights would last for days on end. At times, I would get so angry with John, I would slap him in the face, try to fight with him, or throw things at him. John's heart was already guarded when it came to having conversations about his feelings, but after stomping on him with my pain, he became really closed up. The more he closed up, the more rejected I felt. I would often ask him why he wouldn't talk to me, and he would say he didn't know. I wanted so much to connect with him emotionally when I thought things were going well between us, but I couldn't see past my pain to see his. I began getting on chat rooms looking for people to talk to. I knew the guys just told you what you wanted to hear. I didn't care that it was fake because for a time it made me feel good. I began to suggest to John that we watch pornography a time or two to try and create some sort of excitement even contemplating swinging with other couples. At some point, I became depressed. There was a year of my life that I did nothing but cry and lay in bed while our son fended for himself. And people began to suggest that I was bipolar. When one of John's coworkers began showing an interest in texting me, I was hooked. I would purposely cause fights or lie about where I was going to carry on an affair. Our affair lasted for a year before I had to tell John because the doctor's appointment had confirmed that I had an STD. I can't even tell you how crushed John was and even more so how strange it was to me 
that the very night I had told him, he said he forgave me. Within days, he confronted his coworker and told him that he forgave, that he had forgiven him as well, even though his coworker said he had no idea what he was talking about. But deep down, John was covering his pain and shoving it under a rug like we had been doing for the last four years with everything else. Months after my affair, John had two of his own, and then I again decided to have two more. It was an endless cycle of hurting each other over and over. While it seemed crazy for us to say that we loved each other, at different times one of us found the strength to fight for our marriage. We were always seeking help from our pastors and eventually seven different counselors. All of them were willing to tell us the differences in men and women and point out the, the different needs, even to remind me that I was to submit to John's spiritual authority, which just infuriated me because I was not going to be a doormat like the women, like the, the women were for my dad. At one point, one counselor even told us that we needed to, to grow up and that we weren't trying hard enough. I was done with counseling. We were just going to try to make it work on our own. But no book we read and no advice that we had paid for fixed any of the hurt that we continued to feel. With my desire to continue to control every detail of our lives, we just continued to crumble. John was no longer allowed to touch me, hold my hand. I didn't even want him looking at me getting dressed. The thought of sex made me feel sick to my stomach. If John touched me, I wanted to crawl out of my own skin. On my 30th birthday, I locked myself in my room, called the lawyer, and asked how soon we, he could have us divorced. A sister in Christ whose marriage had been damaged by pornography and drug addiction came alongside me and began to share with me how her marriage had been healed through something called caring for the heart. I felt like I'd be grasping at strings to ask for help again. But out of the fear of our children bouncing between divorced parents like I had, I called Doug at Caring for the Heart. I was very clear with him that we didn't have any money and all we could give him was the weekend. He said he would gladly accept the challenge and left us with some advice that for the next four months, we did our best not to create any more damage to each other. So John and I did our best to be cordial, and we didn't talk about anything more than how was your day. When we met with Doug, I'd never met someone who understood us like he did. Of all the criticism and judgments we had felt by people, nothing we said fazed him. In the six hours that we met with him, I had a complete breakdown. I began to cry to the point that I couldn't even talk anymore. So we ended the session. I cried all the way home and, and four days after. The walls that I had built up had been broken and the most amazing healing had swept over me. As if I had been starved for years, I could not get enough of John holding my hand, giving me hugs. We began to sleep in the same bed again and I wanted for him to hold me. I felt safe. Our fights no longer lasted for days, but for minutes. Sometimes we would just break down laughing. While our lives haven't been perfect since that meeting, 
we had been called to something greater than divorce. We were called to forgive. Healing has been a process in our family, and our son, who is 11, his heart didn't escape our mess undamaged. We're dealing with that now. And that's probably the hardest part of this for me. But through this process, we were able to renew our vows for our 10-year anniversary. And we continue to use these tools that we learned to care for each other's hearts and our son. And I try to use the same tools for the men and women who walk through the doors of the Pregnancy Resource Center that we were led to start. Thank you. Thank you, Cassie, for sharing um, honestly with us. Uh, did you notice how many of the consequences that I described just before the break she experienced? Um, you realize that conflict came between them uh, when they got involved physically and how that affected the relationship and um, how there was distrust, dishonesty, all of that. The wonderful thing is all of that can be resolved, but you have to identify what are the issues and you have to help a person actually resolve those issues in their personal life. Thank you, Cassie, for sharing that. Um, I'm going to say this. <clears throat> Caring for the heart is a ministry that doesn't judge people. We don't attack people for their past. What we seek to do is understand what's happened, understand what um, path they've walked down, and go back and help them resolve each of those issues so that they can come to freedom. And there's freedom with every person, no matter how bad their past is. A number of years ago, I received a phone call from a man who says, said to me on the phone, can you help a homosexual person get free? He said, for 23 years in my marriage, I've had homosexual desires. I've lost my son, my daughter's frustrated with me, my wife's frustrated, can you help me? I brought him in for 15 hours of counseling and I shared what I'm going to share in this hour with you. I shared the fact that there are three issues that create a moral addiction, whether it's pornographic addiction or homosexual addiction or Masturbation addiction doesn't make any difference. There's three things that will trigger an addiction. I said, first of all, if a person isn't loved um, and they have an emotional need in their past that's never been met, that emotional need can leave a vacuum that when they get involved in pornography, every time they're lonely, they look for pornography, or every time they're lonely, they think about other men to have sex with them as a homosexual relationship. I said, secondly, whenever a person has emotional pain in their past, 
often they cover it because when you're aroused, you lose your pain from your past. And I said it can be an emotional need, emotional pain, or sexual abuse that causes a person to have a sexual addiction. I began asking them a question. I said, were you loved by your dad and your mom? He said, my dad and mom were too busy. They both had jobs. They didn't have time for me. In the summer, they would send me to my parents' farm in Kansas. And I spent the summers on the farm. He said, my uncle on the farm taught me how to drive tractor, how to combine wheat, taught me how to bale hay. And the summers were my highlights. He said, the only person that ever connected with me was my single uncle. I said, did your grandparents emotionally connect with you? He said, none of my grandparents ever connected with me. I said, secondly, did anyone ever sexually abuse you at any point in your life? He said, at nine years of age, my uncle came into my bedroom and sexually abused me. I said, you just told me the answer to your problem and he looked with me puzzled, saying to me, but that doesn't solve my addiction. I said, here was the problem. A little boy wanted somebody to love him. Nobody was there to love him. His uncle loved him and he connected with his uncle, but his uncle sexually abused him. So every time he was lonely, within five minutes, he was looking for someone to connect with him like his uncle did, only in a sexual way, which produced a homosexual desire. So every time he was lonely, he desired other men. So then he marries his wife and his wife is frustrated because he has no desire for his wife. He has desire for men, not women. And so she withdrew from him just like the parents had withdrawn. And when she withdrew from them, he went back to his old desire. Every time he was lonely, he would have a desire for men. I said, would you like to be free from these homosexual desires? And he said, John, that's why I came. Please help me. So I led him in a prayer. The prayer was very simple. Jesus, when I was a little boy, nobody ever loved me. My parents didn't love me. All four of my grandparents never connected with me. Jesus, what did that do to a little boy? And Jesus gave him a picture of his heart damaged with nobody ever loving him. He was all alone in a field by himself. Jesus, do you care about little boys who have not been loved? Nobody's paid attention to them. Jesus, when I was nine years of age, my uncle sexually abused me. Three cancers, all Christians told him he was homosexual and he needed to accept that. He turned to me and says, John, am I homosexual? Does God create boys to be homosexual? I says, no. But let's ask Jesus. Jesus, did you create me to be homosexual? Did you create me with that desire? And I waited for Jesus to answer the question to his heart. And he saw this big cinnamon roll. I thought, what does a cinnamon roll have to do with sexual addiction? 
I was puzzled. He was puzzled. His wife looked at me and he said, she said, my husband has to have his cinnamon roll every morning for breakfast with lots of butter and lots of cinnamon. That's his favorite food. If he doesn't have a cinnamon roll, he's never happy. So I've made him cinnamon rolls for 23 years. But then the husband started crying. He says, I didn't tell you the whole picture. There was a beautiful cinnamon roll that looked really neat to eat, but someone took the rest of the dough and messed it up so bad it was good for nothing. I didn't say anything. And all of a sudden the man just burst into tears. He was a beautiful boy for <clears throat> the first nine years of his life. From birth to nine years, everything was okay. Until his uncle sexually abused him. And as soon as that happened, that event totally destroyed the rest of his life. He was an elder in a church, but he resigned because he was embarrassed that he was an elder because of his desires. His children hated him because of his homosexual desires. His wife didn't know what to do with him. She wanted to love him, but didn't know how to respond because he had never had a sexual desire for her in 23 years. All of a sudden he realized he wasn't homosexual for the first nine years, but he wasn't loved either. And because he had an emotional need that no one ever met, and because his uncle connected and then sexually abused him, he connected love with homosexual desire, and he developed an addiction. That night, they went back to their motel room after we prayed, and for the first time, he had a sexual desire for his wife, appropriate. His wife didn't know what to do with him because she had never experienced that before. And he didn't know what to do with that because it was totally different for him. And for the first time, they had a marriage relationship. And the next morning they came in and shared what had changed. Four years later, I went to visit this particular gentleman and his wife in their home. And I asked him a specific question. Have you ever had a homosexual desire since the cinnamon roll? He said, no, I haven't. I said, have you ever wished that you could have your homosexual desire back? He said, no. God had changed his heart. Now I'd like to make a proposal to you. When a person has an emotional need and that need is never met, what happens is that produces a vacuum where you develop a sexual addiction. And as a result of that, people start struggling with them. Recently, I had a man in that was 98% sympathetic. And I mentioned this the other night, and I'd like to repeat it. I said, where did you get your sympathy from, your dad or your mom? He says, both my dad and mom really cared about me. And he says, when I was 14 years of age or 13, I was exposed to pornography along with two of my friends. They became addicted. I didn't get addicted. I said, why weren't you addicted? The other guys were. He said, my parents connected with me so well that I never had any desire to lust or to get involved in pornography. 
that statement reflected exactly what I had been seeing in my own office. A person that's genuinely loved, and I mentioned this Sunday morning, has no desire to sin. He had no desire to get involved in pornography because his emotional needs were met in relationship with his parents. And later he married and actually came in premaritally. And I said to him, as long as you're connected with your wife, emotionally, you're not going to have a sexual desire for inappropriate things like pornography. There's a second problem, though, and that's when a person has emotional pain. That's not true of the individual I just said, but there are people who have a problem of they've been rejected. Someone's angry and critical of them. They react to being controlled. And emotionally, they lock up. Then someone introduces them, sexually abuses them, introduces them to pornography. What happens is every time they feel pain, within five minutes they're going and looking for pornography. A gentleman from California came into my office. His dad called him stupid. That was his nickname. And every time he couldn't do something good enough, he got his nickname stupid. His brother was called Idiot. They all had nicknames. He struggled with that and one day he saw his dad's pornography and he started becoming addicted to the pornography. So every time someone criticized him, within five minutes he was looking for pornography. Then he became a youth pastor and got married. And every time his wife criticized him for being in pornography, he went right back to pornography the same day. Why? Because his criticism, that pain, he covered with pornography. Now, when a person is aroused, they lose their pain. And without thinking about it, and nobody puts this puzzle together, every time his wife criticized him for being in pornography, he went into pornography deeper because he was covering his pain with pornography. 90% of people who are in moral failure are covering either an emotional need, covering an emotional pain, or they've been sexually abused, or a combination of those three. I've had people who have an emotional need, they have emotional pain they're covering, and they've been sexually abused, they have all three. The gentleman I just mentioned that had a homosexual addiction, he had an emotional need combined with sexual abuse. Now, when I sit in my office and understand, and I have to clarify this, I spend 15 hours with a person because I have to figure out where did this come from? What's happening here with a person? Because they don't understand, they just have an addiction. They don't understand where it came from and what happened. Did God create a person to have moral addiction. I'd like to say that God never created a person to find fulfillment um, in a moral addiction. God designed you and I to experience fulfillment sexually within the marriage relationship, not outside of the relationship. So when a person, if you look at the chart up on the screen, if a person has never been loved or has inappropriately been loved, 
and then they're sexually abused, what happens is that sexual abuse gives them a good feeling, whether it's pornography or sexual abuse, and all of a sudden they have a sexual addiction. Now, if you give me permission, uh, Cassie, I'd like to use your illustration for just a minute. You had a mother, and I might not get this quite straight, you had a mother that was depressed. She was focused on her pain. When a mother's focused on her pain, she can't connect with her daughter. She had a father that was focused on himself, couldn't love his girl. And there were other issues she shared in the testimony. Here was a girl who was lonely, who longed for someone to give her attention. And in our culture, girls recognize that if they want to get guys' attention, they have to give them sex in order to get attention back. When she started doing that, all of a sudden she found out that the guys were just using her. They didn't really love her. They didn't really care about her. They just wanted her to give what they wanted. And emotionally, she got damaged by that. Now, God never designed sex as a tool to give a person love. Emotional connection produces love, not sex. Now, God designed sex to be fulfilling within the marriage relationship. But what happens is when you have an emotional need, someone hasn't loved you, or you have emotional pain, and then someone sexually abuses you, what happens is that develops into an addiction. Now, what do you do with a person who has an addiction? First of all, you don't attack them because they have an addiction. Why are you homosexual? Don't you know God hates homosexuality? That's never helped anyone. It's true. When you say to a person who's addicted to pornography, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't you know your wife's going to be upset with you if you're involved in pornography? That's true, but that's not going to solve the problem. What you have to do is do what Jesus did with people. We accept people where they are without judging them because we want to help them get free. And we want to understand what's the cause of why they're doing what they're doing. Cassie wanted love. Nothing wrong with that. Both of her parents couldn't connect with her. They couldn't connect with each other. That's why they got divorced. And so here you have a lonely girl wanting someone to care about her. And that often leads to a physical relationship. But when you find the cause for that and you lead them to actually resolve that cause, what happens is they lose their addiction. When you start caring about a person, all of a sudden they throw everything on the table. What I mean by that is they just expose everything, tell you everything about what's happened in their past, and then you can help them. Jesus focused on the heart to understand a person's emotional need and to care about their inner need and to resolve the spiritual problems in their life. When resolving a moral addiction, look first for the emotional pain within a person's heart. Is, have they been rejected? Have they been neglected? Has someone put expectations on them? Have they been controlled? Somebody been angry and critical? Have they been sexually abused? then once you identify their emotional pain and understand their emotional need, what we want to do is lead them in a prayer to resolve that issue in their life. Now, every sexual addiction 
begins with either emotional need or emotional pain and something is introduced at some point um, usually it's sexual abuse that actually triggers the addiction and so I go back and ask them okay where did it come from my wife and I have been married for 46 years recently a pastor came into my office and he had been married the same year we were married, 46 years ago. He'd had sex with his wife five times in 46 years, but he'd had sex with 50 other men over that same period. And he says, John, can you help me understand my addiction? I spent two weeks, 30 hours with he and his wife trying to understand what happened. When I came to the end of the 30 hours, I turned to him and I says, do you realize you were sexually abused in 11 different ways? His mother exposed him herself to him when he was six, causing him to be repulsed. His sisters touched him inappropriately, older sisters, when he was 10. He had 11 sexual abuse issues like that that totally messed up all of his desires. So when he got married after Bible college to his wife, and they were beautiful singers, in fact, during their 46 years of marriage, they've sang at probably 500 funerals because uh, she plays the piano beautifully and he sings, they both sing beautifully. But during those 46 years, he'd never had a desire for his wife because his mother and sisters had sexually abused him so severely, he had no desire for his wife when they got married 46 years ago. When I explained that to him and helped him understand that his sexual abuse and the fact that he wasn't loved, nobody ever cared about him, caused that desire, he all of a sudden realized where it came from and I led him in a prayer and for the first time their marriage connected. I share that story because I want to be honest with you, parents can emotionally damage their children, siblings can damage siblings by doing inappropriate things with each other causing homosexual activity to occur. A, a mother who's depressed and focused on her pain can damage a child leading them into sexual addictions. A controlling parent can create pain in a child causing them to want to go somewhere to find a release to that and they look on the computer find pornography or sexually abused by that and all of a sudden they're in addiction. I'd like to make a statement that I don't want you to forget. Every addiction that has come into my office has either been through emotional need or emotional pain and sexual abuse at least one of those three, sometimes two and sometimes all three. When you understand and care about it and you lead a person in a prayer, they obviously have to be willing to want to become free because you can't make someone be free. But if they want to be free, they can be free um, from these issues inside. Now, how do we actually find the pain inside of a person's heart? If Cassie came into my office and... Um, she says, John, what's my problem? I would take this four-column emotional pain sheet and I would say to Cassie and her husband, I want you to put a zero to ten in front of every word. Zero if you've never felt that word. One to ten if you felt it. Ten is the highest. 
within a few minutes I would be able to find out where Cassie's emotional pain was. Then I start to understand what happened to her. Who caused that pain? Was it her mother, her dad, uh, other individuals? And then I would start understanding and caring about that. And then I would identify the pressure patterns, the emotional issues we talked about last night. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about pressure patterns that damage people. And I go and look for how did this damage this person? Then identify any sexual abuse a person has experienced from their past. And sexual abuse is more than just rape. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about eight different ways people are sexually abused. And I help people understand that and help them resolve that and pray to resolve that pain inside. And then I lead them in a prayer to resolve their sexual abuse. Then I lead them secondly to acknowledge and repent of their moral failure past. Because as I mentioned in the first session, we want to understand the fact that moral sin has to be acknowledged and repented. So I lead a person in this prayer that I talked about earlier to actually confess that. And then I'll skip through this because we already talked about that. The final thing, the third thing, is I lead them to emotionally connect with their spouse. And this is really important. The gentleman that I talked about that was never loved by his parents, his grandparents, but was loved by his grandfather, or excuse me, loved by his uncle, and then his uncle sexually abused him. I explained to his wife what happened to her husband, and she began to cry. She never knew that he wasn't loved. He didn't understand it. She didn't understand it. She didn't understand that every time he was lonely, he wanted a relationship. But because he was homosexual by the time they got married, she already started pulling her heart away so she could never meet his emotional need. And in my office, she opened her heart to start caring about his emotional need. What happens is instead of his need for love being channeled and connected to his homosexual desire, his need for love began to be met by his wife, who opened her heart to care about him. When she started caring about him, he connected with her, and he found for the first time he was loved in an appropriate way. Now his uncle had loved him emotionally, but he, had never, he only saw this young boy as an opportunity to have sex with. He lusted, he never really connected. And when the wife started connecting, he got love for the first day in his life. Now I'm going to give you a secret. 20% of people coming into my office can't remember one person that connected with them. We have a huge problem today. And that is the problem that people don't feel loved. Dads don't connect with their daughters or with their sons. Mothers don't connect with their sons and daughters. We perform, we do, we're busy, but we don't emotionally connect. And that's why we have a huge moral problem today. Because what happens is we have girls like Cassie who are lonely. Guess what? They're prime targets so that when someone takes advantage of them, they find that love comes from having sex, so they have sex before marriage. Very few girls will have sex before marriage if daddy loves their daughters or mother loves their daughters and sons. 
or dads love their sons. And I want to say this, love changes this whole pattern. But sometimes in our Christian circles, we just work hard, we perform. Performance is not love. Doing for your children is not love. There's nothing wrong with doing for your children, providing for them, providing meals. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about connecting to their hearts. To sit down with your daughter and say, could you describe for me what your emotional need is? How can I meet that? To sit down with your son and say, are you struggling with something? Can I understand that? Can I care about that as your father, as your mother? When you start connecting emotionally with your sons and daughters, what happens is, and they see you connecting as parents, all of a sudden they're going to want that connection. And guess what happens? They lose their addiction. Or if you do that before they get addicted to anything, they don't get addicted. They're addicted to your love. Nothing wrong with that. And what happens is they get married and they're wanting that emotional connection from their spouse. And my proposal to you is that is what solves an emotional addiction. I'd like to close this session with this challenge. You and I can't change what happened to us yesterday or in the past. You can't change whether you were involved primarily. You can't change whether uh, you committed adultery. You can't change whether you were raised in a home where you weren't loved or someone didn't connect with you. The gentleman that I talked about couldn't change the fact that he had had homosexual desires for 23 years. But God can free us from those issues today and make a different tomorrow. Every sin can be acknowledged and confessed. Every addiction can be resolved. The person has to want it. And Jesus has the ability to bring freedom to that addiction. Some of you are here tonight and you say, I was never loved and I'm struggling with lusting. Some of you say, I have pain when I feel rejected and no one talks to me and I feel all alone. I struggle with pornography. I want you just to acknowledge that before God. And if you're a child and you have parents and you're willing to talk to them, go to your parents and say, I get so lonely and every time I'm lonely I struggle with lusting at night. Or every time I struggle, I'm looking at my computer trying to find something that will cover that pain. Share it with your parents and say, would you be willing to love me? Now, if you don't know how to love as parents, um, we have videos out there that shows you how to connect with your children. Uh, when Thursday night, we're going to talk about emotional connection, how that works and why it's so important. And I'm going to say the most important thing parents can do is love their children. Now, if you're an adult and you say, John, I wish you'd have been here 40 years ago. I've already lived 20 years of my life in an addiction and I'm struggling. There's freedom. First of all, you have to ask, okay, is the problem because I wasn't emotionally loved? Is the problem I'm covering pain? Was I sexually abused? When was I introduced to this? Once you identify that, then I would encourage you to pray, Jesus, 
Every time I'm criticized, I trip inside. And I go to pornography to give me a good feeling. Jesus, would you forgive me for that? Jesus, do you care about my heart? Can you heal my heart from what happened to me there? Jesus, I don't want to find fulfillment in lust. I want to find fulfillment in an emotional connected relationship. Do you mind if I connect with my wife? If you're single, can I connect with another person of the same sex that we could love each other on an emotional level, appropriate ways, so that I can have my emotional needs met? Every person needs to be loved, and every person needs that emotional connection. And my prayer is that you would find freedom in your personal life. Caring for the heart has 20 offices. Cassie uh, went to Nebraska to one of her offices there, and they're scattered all the way from Quebec um, to Colorado. And we're here to help you. And if we can help you in any way, that's why we're here. Because we want to be a, a resource for people to find freedom from moral failure and from sexual addiction so people like Cassie can start having fun in their marriage. And I'm excited for her testimony with her husband. It doesn't mean everything's perfect from now on, but it does mean we can enjoy fulfillment in a relationship. Thank you very much. As we um, end tonight, I just want to just encourage everybody just to bow your heads and just close your eyes. And we're just going to just take a little time just to, to uh, meditate a little bit and just spend some time with the Holy Spirit. And I think Denise and Doug are going to close us with the song. But, right, yeah. but for right now, I just want you to just bow your head and close your eyes. And just I want you to just um, allow your heart to be penetrated by the Holy Spirit. And just we, we've heard a lot of stuff tonight, and uh, there's no way that uh, we know how it affects one another, but God does. God can see in your heart, and so I just want you to just make yourself vulnerable to the Holy Spirit, and there's no doubt he's been prompting all of us in all of these different ways and different things that we've heard, and how it affects us, or people we know, or family members, or, or anything, and so we just want to come before the Lord just in a time of, of stillness and, and quietness and let the Holy Spirit uh, just speak to us. And so, Lord, as we are quiet before you, we just ask um, that you would give us the ability, that you would give us the sensitivity to hear your very still, small voice. And so we just come to you now. We just ask you to speak to us. We give you permission to speak to us. Help us to hear what you have for us individually.
thank you, Lord, for the hope that we see in your word. The hope that we talked about earlier and the hope that John reflected upon, Lord. We see in your great and powerful word that if we confess our sins to you, that you are true and faithful. And not only do you forgive us of our sins, but you purify us from all things that are unrighteous. That is your promise for us if we believe and we seek you. We thank you so much, Lord, for that promise. We thank you so much that you are faithful to that. And that the, the gravity of the things that we've been talking about tonight creator of this world, the Alpha, the Omega, the always has been, the always will be, says that I can free you. I will free you. You just have to let go and believe. And I will forgive that sin. I will make you new take that hurt and brokenness that we've been talking about regardless of of that emotional pain or need that, that we felt in some time in our life and through the power of my son through the blood that he shed upon the cross for that pain uh, for that those needs for those those ways that we've been hurt and injured I will take those feelings away and replace those with forgiveness and freedom and joy and peace despite those things that happened I love you that much and my love is that powerful. Lord, I also just pray um, one of the things that John talked about tonight just for the modern day church regardless of, of denomination or where they're at or, or who they're reaching out to. Because many times the church judge people for where they're at and those who need the church, the body of Christ the most, we end up pushing them away because Lord, we many times become blind to the fact that we ourselves have been forgiven of of much and we become nearsighted to the fact that who we are right now is by no means of our own because we've done things right or we haven't done this or we haven't done that. We are saved and we are set free only through Jesus Christ. And we have understood that truth through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would just break our hearts. For those who want to belong to a body of believers, so much and wants to experience that freedom. Lord, teach us how not to push them away. Teach me how not to push them away. Teach me how not to judge them. One of the, the verses that John had on the bottom of the slide was First uh, Peter 4, 8. And that verse is, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Teach us, train us, show us how to love other people like you have loved us. 
create in us as the body of Christ a humble heart. That we see ourselves better than no one that we come in contact with. But we desire for them the same freedom that you have given us. And the same joy that you have given us. Through that blood that was shed upon the cross, we thank you for that blood. And we thank you for that power. The power of forgiveness. The power to be restored and to renew. The power to take that pain and to, and to turn it into something that can be used for your glory. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just continue to fall upon John and all of the counselors that, that he has brought with him this week. We pray, Lord, that as we continue, as we have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Lord, that we know that there are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families that need to hear the word of, that leads to freedom. We pray that you would help us to encourage others that we know to come and to hear and to have an open heart. We just lift up Wednesday and, and Thursday, the remainders of, of the evenings yet. We pray that your spirit would just pour out upon us, that you would open the gates, that you would open the door, that you would open the windows of heaven. That we would not only hear who you are, Lord, but that we would see it, that we would sense it, and that we would feel your touch. We just give these things to you, Lord. We give these things to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. in the light of his glory.